A familiar face is returning to the Pacific Northwest to join Pete Carroll's staff. What does that mean for the Seahawks offensively? Find out in our latest installment of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Hope everybody enjoyed their weekend. It's Mock Draft Monday and back by popular demand. Very popular demand. We've been getting a lot of messages about this on social media Rob and I will be critiquing a handful of fan-submitted mock drafts today for the first time. We'll do this a few times leading up to the real thing in late April. So we've got a handful of drafts submitted by you, our valued listeners, that we're going to be diving into. And, of course, some big coaching staff changes on the horizon, both additions and departures that we'll be breaking down as well on this jam-packed Monday episode that is brought to you by Altman Football GM. If you've ever dreamed of becoming an NFL GM and managing your football franchise – this game is definitely for you. To download the game, just visit ultimate-gm.com or look it up in the App Store. Our listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise when using the promo code Locked On. That's all caps in the game. Now for your lead story here on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. Middle of last week, the Seahawks had their first major departure from their coaching staff with Dave Canales going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as their new offensive coordinator. The Seahawks wasted a little time finding his replacement, and they got a highly qualified one coming back to the Pacific Northwest. This will be his first time with the Seahawks, but heralding from Richland High School as well as Central Washington University, Greg Olson, and no, not the tight end that played for the Seahawks a couple years ago, but longtime NFL assistant Greg Olson will be joining the Seahawks, expected to have that deal officially announced tomorrow. He was at the facility today finalizing a contract to join the Seahawks and Pete Carroll's staff as the new quarterback coach. Rob, this was not a name that I actually had on the radar going into this process. Maybe we should have thought about this, but he was on the Rams coaching staff last season as a senior offensive assistant, 14 years as an offensive coordinator in the NFL, more than 30 years of college and NFL coaching experience, and he's had a lot of success with quarterbacks at both levels. And now Greg Olson gets to finally come back home and coach for the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I, I think that you, you did a really nice job of, of kind of explaining that, you know, kind of uh, just acknowledging Greg Olson's roots in the state of Washington. Uh, certainly appreciate the, the C, Central Washington University CWU uh, reference, just because, of course, I'm a graduate of Central Washington as well. Um, you know, and, and Greg Olson, I think, is a name that maybe we should have been talking about a little bit because he is as respected as he is. Uh, as you referenced, I mean, he's been coaching for a long time. I and mean, this is 21 years in the NFL uh, and six, uh, uh, six different teams he was the offensive coordinator with. And so that to me is one of the unusual things here is that it's just rare to see a guy who was previously an offensive coordinator come back into more of a quarterback specific coaching role. But I also think that it kind of speaks to the fact that with Greg Olson at 59 years old, um, that he is kind 
kind of towards the end of his career. He and his wife, Lisa, um, have, she is also a coach, a a very good one at that track and field coach for a long, long time. And had several stops um, throughout Washington State as well, as as well as Purdue, um, where Greg Olson began his college or or part of his college coaching career, worked with Drew Brees and and longtime head, head coach there, Joe Tiller, really where he started to make a name for himself. And that's one of the reasons why Greg Olson bounced around the NFL as much as he did because he and his wife and their twins, uh, a boy and a girl who are both very talented athletes themselves. Daughter is uh, now playing volleyball at UCLA and the son is a football player at Cal uh, Cal Poly. Uh, This is a family that is committed to athleticism, committed to each other. And again, that's one of the reasons why he's bounced around. So for those Seahawks fans out there, they're like, why do we, why did the Seahawks sign a coach that doesn't have the track record? It hasn't been with one program for a long time. I think that you're getting kind of caught up in statistics and things like that. When you look at just the the coaches that Greg Olson has worked with, and I'm sure that, that Pete Carroll talked to his former defensive coordinator and Gus Bradley, who was the head coach that Greg Olson worked with with the Jacksonville Jaguars, for example, or John Gruden, who uh, Greg also worked with the Las Vegas and previously the Oakland Raiders for a long time as well. I mean, and of course, with Shane Waldron and Andy Dickerson knowing a lot about Greg Olson and their time uh, with the Los Angeles Rams. And Greg Olson was three times with the Rams, so back to the St. Louis days as well. But the point is, is that this is a head coach who is as proven as it gets and has certainly has a great deal of really talented quarterbacks on his resume. He also has some young quarterbacks who had some of their best seasons under him. So I think that this is a really exciting development for the Seahawks, at the quarterback position. Sure, you're going to miss Dave Canales as well as Brad Idzik, the wide receiver coach from the Seahawks who followed Canales to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But as far as the Seahawks kind of getting a, a coach that has a great deal of experience, that has the, I think that just the, the background to work with veterans or young quarterbacks alike, I think that it really sets up very nicely for the Seahawks moving forward. I'm just going to be blunt. This is a home run hire. And sometimes when we look at these additions to coaching staffs, especially with the Seahawks, there's always question marks about fit. But because uh, Greg Olson has worked with Shane Waldron and Andy Dickerson in the past. He's got two years under his belt in Sean McVay's system, so he should be able to seamlessly walk right in as the quarterback coach in the system. And he's been with John Gruden. He's been with a number of other coaching staffs. He has delved into a number of different types of schemes, even though he's largely a West Coast guy. That's a perfect fit for what the Seahawks are going to be doing. That's what Pete Carroll loves to run his offense through. So this should be – as good of a hire as the Seahawks could have possibly made to replace Dave Canales. Again, that that could potentially be a big loss, but if you are going to be able to find a successor of this caliber and then quickly plug him onto your staff as your quarterback coach, as you mentioned, the track record, coaching John Kitna at Central Washington, John Kitna, an NAIA school, by the way, that you graduated from, and becoming a 16-year NFL vet that started a lot of games in the league, including uh, several years with the Seattle Seahawks coming into the NFL. Drew Brees became a future Hall of Famer in Joe Tiller's offense, but who was the quarterback coach there? It was Greg Olson. And then in the NFL, yes, he's coached some really bad teams, but I want you to just chew on this for a second, Rob. Josh Freeman, 
who was out of the league by 2015. His second year in the league, he had 25 touchdown passes and just six interceptions. Who was the offensive coordinator for Tampa Bay that year when they went 10-6? and six? It was Greg Olson. Blake Bortles threw more than 30 touchdown passes in one of the seasons that Greg Olson was the offensive coordinator in Jacksonville. And oh, by the way, Jared Goff, when the Rams made the Super Bowl in 2017, and Greg Olson was his quarterback coach, 28 touchdown passes, seven interceptions. It, in my opinion, was the best season he's had in his entire career. And so the track record speaks for itself, whether it's been the NFL, whether it's been older quarterbacks. Jeff Garcia, at 31 years of age, threw 32 touchdowns in 2001, the only year that Olson was the quarterback coach for the 49ers. So, again, whether it's veterans, whether it's incoming rookies, young quarterbacks, it hasn't mattered. He just has been really good and has a great success record with quarterbacks at all levels. And I think that creates a lot of intrigue here because we don't know if Geno Smith's going to be back. All signs are pointing that that's going to be the case. And he's shown he can work with veteran quarterbacks, has a long track record doing that, but he's also had great experiences where Josh Freeman had that breakout year in his second season in Tampa Bay and some of the other young quarterbacks that have flourished under Greg Olson's tutelage. So maybe this is a sign that Seattle's like, you know what? We've got this veteran quarterback coach. Maybe we can go draft a guy in the first round, one of those two first rounders. So I think it just adds a little bit more intrigue as we keep winding down this offseason process. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, and I think, that you know, I, I love that you mentioned like Jeff Garcia, for example, or, or Drew Brees. I mean, uh, because there's been enough time since the story broke with Greg Olson. Uh, and again, as you mentioned, for those of you who are just kind of jumping in part, partway through the podcast, the Seahawks are expected to be hiring Greg Olson, longtime NFL coach, uh, to uh, take over as their quarterback coach for this franchise that is not the former Seahawks and Carolina Panthers and Fox color commentator Greg Olson. This is Greg Olson, O-L-S-O-N, rather than O-L-S-E-N. Anyways, but I, if you go back and, and read some of the stories about Greg Olson, Seattle's new quarterback coach, and the success that he has had with some of those former quarterbacks, you read about the things that you know Drew Brees has said about him, that there's so many of the other quarterbacks that he has worked with, um, Jeff Garcia, the, what they have to say about him, and it's all just heaping praise on how competitive, how intense, how fun-loving um, that, that Greg Olson is. And so, again, I think that if you just look up the man's Wikipedia page and you see that he has bounced around the NFL two years here, three years, that the longest that he'd been anywhere was four years, um, then you might get the idea that, oh, this is a journeyman coach and, and he has a hard time developing relationships. In fact, it's the exact opposite. That It's just he and, again, his wife's commitment to each other, to their family, is one of the reasons why they chose the coaching profession. They're going to bounce around a little bit, but that they have have as many people um, in their background that are, you know, kind of championing their causes. I, I think that this is kind of a hand in glove fit for the Seahawks because we know how enthusiastic Pete Carroll is. And so I just think that Greg Olson uh, and Pete Carroll are going to work very well together. And one last thing about Greg Olson, of course, I've been scouting for a long time, going to an awful lot of pro days. And Greg Olson is one of the very few quarterback coaches who I've seen go to a number of these pro days. I do know that the Seahawks have often sent some of their positional coaches to pro days. So for, again, for those of you out there who are excited about the possibility of the Seahawks drafting a quarterback, you just got a quarterback coach, at least that's what we expect, is you just got a quarterback coach who has the experience of actually scouting the position as well as coaching it up. 
Yep, it's just more intrigue, even more intrigue going into this process. Who knows what the Seahawks are going to do, but you do have a guy in Greg Olson that has been a regular at Pro Days, and he's been actively involved in looking at young quarterbacks throughout his time in the NFL, and he's got an extensive college background too, and so that makes it interesting to see what the Seahawks can decide to do, and they could have Geno and a rookie come in. That's absolutely not out of the question here in this process either. We'll see what happens, but it looks – like it's going to happen here the next day that's going to become official that Greg Olson will be the new quarterback coach for the Seahawks. And then time will tell which quarterbacks he's going to be working with in 2023. Coming up next, it's Mock Draft Monday. We're going to be digging into a number of fan-submitted fan submitted, uh, mock drafts, seven rounders. We're really excited about this. We have a few rules that we'll go through at the beginning, but we're going to dive into a handful of those and critique, discuss the picks we like and the picks we don't. Coming up next here on our Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Altman Football GM. We're really geeked out by our new partner and sponsor of today's episode, the mobile game Altman Football GM. Ever dreamed of becoming an NFL GM and managing your football franchise? Well, your dream can now come true, and this game is definitely for you. Manage every strategic aspect of your team, play through the season, and lead your team to glory. You're responsible for everything from hiring the right coaches and coordinators, maybe go out and get your own Greg Olson, trading players, making draft picks, navigating your franchise through free agency in the draft, and all the ups and downs of the season. All of this comes in a challenging and realistic game world. I'm currently trying my best to emulate John Schneider and make the most of my draft choices. The Honolulu Sharks have been in the cellar for a couple of seasons, and I am on the hot seat. I need to get this team turned around moving forward. Alden Football GM is completely free and playable offline. Play on the go as you want and when you want to. It's a blast, and our listeners should join in in the fun in their own league. Locked on Seahawks listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise when they use the promo code Locked On. That's in all caps in the game store. That's Locked On in all caps. So make sure to check it out today. To download the game, just visit ultimate-gm.com or look it up on the app store. That's ultimate-gm.com. Altman Football GM, start your dynasty today. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks, your home for Seahawks coverage five days a week on the Locked On Network or team every day. Fifth, glad as always by my coast in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether this is your first time checking out the podcast or you are a diehard regular listener, we greatly appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first lesson five days a week. Let's get to Mock Draft Monday and back by popular demand. As I mentioned earlier in the episode, this has been a common theme on social media for about two weeks. When do we get a chance to submit our own seven-round mock draft so you guys can go through them? We did this last year, and it's clearly something that our listeners enjoy. So we're bringing it back. We'll do this a few times leading up to the draft on April 27th through 29th. We're going to be digging through some mock drafts submitted by you, our diehard listeners. And there were only two rules at play here. You had to make at least 11 selections. You know John Schneider is going to be smiling about that, getting that many draft picks to make on draft weekend. And the second thing, I worded it kind of funny, so I understand why some of you thought, oh, this means I can pick a quarterback early. But it was supposed to be you can only pick a quarterback after the third round or later. There were a few of you that had really good mock drafts where you picked a quarterback earlier. Maybe we'll let that one slide because I'll admit the wording was not great. But without further ado, let's get to it. We're going to look at four mock drafts submitted by your listeners. We wish we could go through more, but due to time and how much Rob and I ramble on, we start talking about picks. Four is going to be the right number today. And Rob, there were a couple that jumped out to you. I'm going to give you the mic here. 
What's the first mock draft that we're going to be looking at here? Yeah, I, I'm going to look at one that was uh, produced by a somebody on Twitter um, who goes by at Hawk Astrologer. Um, and so I'm just going to kind of read off some of, of the selections made. Uh, and one of the things, as you said, Corbin, is just that we were kind of overwhelmed by just the sheer number of mock drafts that were that were sent to us. Uh, 50, 60 different mock drafts. I think that's an awful lot of names. Um, so thank you, as always, to all of our uh, all the people who are contributing mock drafts, all of the listeners, all the viewers on YouTube, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I, I'm going to go through this Hawkstrologer mock draft because I think that it's kind of a fascinating approach on, on how we might see John Schneider attack this draft. Now, you, you mentioned the two rules, and I'm going to focus in on that very first one, the fact that they wanted to have 11 draft picks. Well, the Seahawks having 10 draft picks right now, obviously that promotes trades. And obviously, we are there's no such ground rules when it comes to John Schneider and the Seahawks making their selections, but we are going to do this multiple times uh, over the course of the next several weeks leading up to the draft. And so we are going to want to see some different strategies out there. And this to me is an interesting interesting one because there is a slight trade down which is going to help the Seahawks acquire the Las Vegas Raiders 2024 first round pick. So that was one of the the kind of the characteristics I was kind of looking for is to see if you could get a, a pick for next year's draft as well. Um, and then also I wanted to see someone who took a mock draft and really attacked day one and day two, and then another strategy, maybe attacking day three. And so that's with the Hawkstrologer here. They very much attack day two. Uh, again, they had a trade down with the Las Vegas Raiders, got the extra pick and uh, extra pick for next year's draft. And I think that it's kind of fun because as uh, it, it kind of acknowledged here, um, they basically you know said that we thought that there's a possibility that the Seahawks might do something that's a little bit different than what everybody is expecting. And right off the bat with the trade down, maybe that is something that we should expect, but taking a wide receiver with their first selection, I think would surprise a lot of people. So the USC wide receiver, Jordan Addison, obviously Pete Carroll would likely be a fan of that. Um, the fact that Seattle had such success with so many different award winners a year ago, I think that it just kind of lends some credence to the idea that they might go with a guy who, um, of course, won the Blitnikoff Award as a member of the Pitt Panthers two years ago. But the wide receiver, Jordan Addison, we've talked about the need for a third wide receiver, an edge rusher, Nolan Smith, one of my favorite players, a guy who I do believe that he does have the physicality and certainly the intensity um, to be able to kind of fit in as that 3-4 rush linebacker. Obviously, Seattle's got to be feeling pretty good about what they've got at that position right now. But you don't know that Uchenna Nuosu is going to be able to build upon what he showed last year. Daryl Taylor, Boyamafe, et cetera, et cetera. I just think that these are two legitimate first-round caliber players. And to be able to get them at 15 and 20 and then again get that first-round pick next year in the trade down, I think makes off a lot of sense. The tight end, Michael Meyer, as acknowledged by Hawkstrologer in his initial tweet, uh, presumably his initial tweet, um, Mayer is just the best player available at that spot. Again, another player I view as a first-round 
round prospect and as a guy we know the way the Seattle prioritizes the tight end position. Steve Avila is, is a really good football player. He's a guy that has that guard center experience. Is one of the things I really like about him. I think that he could step right in and contribute possibly at the right guard position, depending on what the Seahawks want to do with Phil Haynes and, of course, with the veteran Gabe Jackson, who is still under contract. Um, John Michael Schmitz, as we talked about many times before, is you know one of our favorite centers in this class. And I'm not going to go through every single player on this list, but there, I, I want to because there's a lot of good players. Carl Brooks from Bowling Green, the defensive lineman, I thought was you know made as much money as just about anybody at the Senior Bowl this year. He was just absolutely dynamic, uh, you know. And, and so I, I just really like this class. And then I'll, I'll mention one last player. I, I just produced uh, my top ten favorite running backs in the class of 2023 it's on foxsports.com right now and corbin one of the guys who was very much in the running to be in that list chris rodriguez jr the running back for kentucky everybody's talking about the quarterback will levis watch the running back he plays sea hockey kind of football um he does have some off-field stuff that i think is going to drop him down so again i think that this is the hawks astrologer clearly has some you know looking to the skies and can you know predict the future a little bit because i do think that he did that the viewer did a great job of anticipating where runs might go and and really kind of setting the board fairly accurately whereas some of the other mock drafts i saw out there i think there's going to be players that you know they selected in the fifth round that i think are likely to be first round picks so i, I just thought this was a very realistic mock draft um for a, in a lot of different ways yeah and the other interesting thing is that this mock draft actually had five trades total yeah. And some fans would scoff at the idea of trading down not once but twice from number five overall. But, I mean, if the top two defensive players are gone and you don't want to pick a quarterback early, that might be the best road to go because you can really eat up on day two with second and third round picks. And that ended up being the rationale, the main strategy here. And John Schneider's done that. We saw that with the DK Metcalf trade moving up and to the back half of the second round. He'll maneuver into day two up and down the board to get extra picks and get – unique talents and so that was really covered in this one i went with maybe a more controversial one go figure of course i'm going to go with a controversial one coming from chairman underscore e1492 and there's nothing controversial about the first selection tyree wilson is maybe the most popular player not named jalen carter that is being mocked to the seahawks by experts whether it's pick five or a couple picks down which this one that's the case a trade down moving down to pick number seven and what I liked about this one, and, and we know John Schneider will do this if the opportunity is there, trading down not just once but twice with both first-round picks to recoup extra selections in the meat of the draft in the middle. The selection to pick 30, though, is going to make a lot of fans bat their eyes a little bit. But John Robinson, the superstar running back from Texas, I would be surprised if he's there at 30. And at the same time, with where running backs have been going in drafts as of late, you know, maybe he falls there. And if he's still there at 30, John Schneider and Pete Carroll might have a very hard time not making that selection because he is that kind of a talent out of the backfield. And you can never have too many dynamic runners, especially on an offense like Seattle's. Siaka Ika at pick 37. I've mocked him a couple times. Big, massive mountain of a man that could rush the passer a little bit coming from the Big 12. Luke Whipler from Ohio State is one of my top centers in my top four. At the position group, I think getting him at 52 seems just about right. And 
I guess this is what I loved about this draft, Rob. Not only getting Whipler, but also getting Andrew Voorhees in the very next pick that you can plug in at one of the guard spots. You're getting two players that could start for you on day one. And I think that has got to be a priority for the Seahawks in this draft, that interior offensive line. Get at least one guy in the first three rounds that you can plug right into the lineup and instantly upgrade your group that's going to have a high ceiling. Both those players are going to come into the league with that kind of buzz. And so I really like those selections on day two. And then a couple picks on day three that jump out to me. Uh, JL Skinner, I'll talk about at some point later in the show. But Julius Brents, the six foot three long arm corner from Kansas State, he is rising up draft boards after a pretty solid senior bowl week. I coached against the kid, so there's some bias in this pick. I I really enjoyed coaching against him, watching him. You know, he torched us, uh, really was a fantastic football player, and that has continued to the college level. Could you imagine another six-foot-three athletic corner across from Tariq Woolen in the secondary? Brent's is a player that you could develop that eventually can get onto the field. I really like that pick in the fourth round. And at quarterback, we had our – rule that you couldn't pick till after round three Dorian Thompson Robinson in round five out of UCLA Seahawk fans Washington fans are going to know that name because of the Pac-12 conference playing for Chip Kelly and he's one of those guys on day three that really fascinates me because I don't think he's a player that can come right in and play right away but I also look at the athletic tools he's got a big arm there's all the physical tools there if he's coached up by Greg Olson That might be a guy that a year or two from now could be a very solid NFL quarterback. And you don't find those very often on day three. So he is one of the few guys in this class that isn't going to go early that I could see potentially panning out, maybe being the Brock Purdy of this draft class that ends up being a solid NFL quarterback. Dorian Thompson Robinson could end up being that player. So overall, I just, I like the value on day three. And I like the fact there were some good trench picks. And I like the controversy too, getting Bajan Robinson at the end of the first round. Now, Rob, I'm going to flip it back to you because we each have one more mock draft with slightly different approaches than the first two that we looked at. Yeah. And as I was saying, uh, you know, this is a, a draft here. And th- this one was uh, produced by um, a. Twitter follower or Twitter user at Scott Howard FTW, I'm assuming, and looks on the jersey um, that they're referencing as their their Twitter image. Uh, Scott Howard being the the character uh, played by Michael J. Fox um, and uh, Teen Wolf. Um, so I'm assuming the FTW is Scott Howard for the win. And so I just love the the name. And I, and I really like this draft class as well. Now, what they did here is, again, there was a big-time trade right off the bat, uh, also trading with the Raiders. And so, um, you know, trading down to the number seven spot from number five overall, as well as getting that 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 uh, 2024 first round selection. So perhaps Greg Olson might be talking to some of his, uh, you know, former uh, cohorts with the Las Vegas Raiders, um, you know, to maybe help swing some kind of move like this. I think if you look look at this draft class, I'm not in love with Miles Murphy at number seven overall. Corbin, he's a, a player that we've talked about a lot. He is physically gifted. I just don't see the 
him making as many plays as I would like to see somebody drafted in the top 10 make. But at the same time, he is just scratching the surface of his potential. He is a guy who is surrounded by so much talent at Clemson that that maybe, um, you know, that was part of the reason why he wasn't able to produce as many eye-popping plays because some of the other guys have to make their play, big plays as well. So I, I do certainly acknowledge that um, another big, powerful guy at the line of scrimmage has to be a high priority, and that obviously is the priority in this selection. So again, Miles Murphy at number seven overall, Jackson Smith and Jigba. I, I had Seattle making this exact same selection in my mock draft, so I certainly am not going to criticize at this point. I, I would say that I'd like to see Seattle try to get a little bit more speed at the receiver position, but again, with Smith and Jigba, a player that I think reminds me a little bit of Keenan Allen, um, just in terms of his route running and his soft hands. I think that he is just going to be an ultra reliable slot receiver that can come into the NFL and be very, very good, very, very early. So again, I like that pick. We talked about Steve Avila before. Again, another pick that I just think screams Seahawks in so many different ways, does have that center guard um, versatility. A couple of big guys. Ojomo, the, the big defensive tackle from Texas, a lot of people might remember when the beginning of the season, Texas and Alabama squared off and the Longhorns gave Alabama a heck of a run there. A big part of that was because of how well they were able to shut down the interior running game. And Ojomo was a big part of that. Zach Pickens from South Carolina, a little bit lower, um, was also is a good football player who kind of just, to me, strikes a lot of Seahawk boxes in, in a lot of different ways. Speaking of Seahawk boxes, I don't know if there is a quarterback in this draft class. You mentioned DTR, Dorian Thompson Robinson with the previous mock draft. To me, DTR and Hendon Hooker are two of the guys on that, that middle round to day, or to, to day three, I think make an awful lot of sense for the Seahawks because of a lot of different things. For one, it's the versatility. They're the legitimate dual threat kind of quarterbacks. Two, it's the obviously the production against elite competition. In the case of Hendon Hooker at Virginia Tech, and, and clearly um, at Tennessee this past season uh, or this past couple of years as well. I mean, just the fact that he never had a single season with more than five interceptions is just mind-boggling to me. Um, and you just see the accuracy that he has. Obviously, he's coming off of the torn ACL. That's the reason why he is available at this point in the draft. But I just love that I love the fact that this draft went back to the interior of the offensive line, just through multiple um, picks at that spot at the center guard positions. It's something that Seattle needs to work on. Um, Jared Patterson from Notre Dame has got all kinds of buzz about him. He played at Notre Dame after all. Um, but Scruggs uh, from Penn State is a guy who you know turned some heads at the East West Shrine Bowl. And so he is somebody I think that we got to mention. And, and I mentioned before from Bowling Green, Carl Brooks and how productive he was. Jose Ramirez from Eastern Michigan not a lot of people know about him. He just led the entire country in sacks this past season. So he is somebody that also checks a lot of boxes as far as the Seahawks like production. And this, these are some players that have uh, potential as well as production. And so this, I thought, was a nice draft class that really kind of followed what the Seahawks had done in the past and betting heavy on their ability to find those diamond in the rough prospects on day three. That's the strategy this draft took. And I think it's a sound one. And I like the last selection on there. Isaiah Land is yeah. another player that made himself a lot of money at the Senior Bowl. And I know he's light, but he's also extremely flat, uh, fast coming off the edge. Yep. And that's just a kid that looks like he is scratching the surface of his talent 
coming from a smaller school in Florida A&M. And it looks like he could add some more muscle to his body. So that would be an intriguing late round flyer. And I'm going to throw out a name here that um, played for the Seahawks in the um, late 80s and early 90s. Uh, that uh, was was an incredible uh, pass rusher, Rufus Porter, Rufus Porter from a small school from Southern. That's the kind of player I could see Isaiah Land potentially being, and it's a different game now. But those smaller pass rushers, there's a place for them more than there was when Rufus Porter was getting a lot of sacks for the yep. Seahawks. So that is a pick that I really like at the end of that draft that I just felt like I had to talk about. Let's get to my last mock draft now, and I already kind of set the table for this because it was my fault. The way that I worded the two rules on social media. There were several of you that were like, well, I'm going to take a quarterback early and I'm going to take one late. I'm going to do the Kirk Cousins, Robert Griffin, the third strategy. Well, there was one draft that jumped out to me that did have a quarterback going early. And I, it's not necessarily that I think that's what the Seahawks should do, but I looked at the way that the draft ended up unfolding and it felt really realistic to me. And so this one is coming from Trevor 4586, and it involved a trade down. Now, Anthony Richardson at number eight, that might seem a little bit rich, but Rob, you and I have both talked about this a lot on this podcast in terms of size and physical tools. Richardson most, might be the most enticing quarterback in this entire draft class. And when you have those physical tools and that size and athleticism, Teams are going to pick you much earlier. And so there is a chance he could end up being a guy that goes in the top 10. And then at 20, Michael Mayer, the tight end from Notre Dame, not a speedster, but an incredibly talented player that also I think is the best run blocker at the position in a really good tight end class. And so at 20, they get another offensive player. And some of our listeners might be thinking, why is this mock draft being picked? Well, I really like the way the rest of this unfolded, getting the defense taken care of on day two out of Tamiwa. Adi Barra, I actually got it from Northwestern, is a player that I'm higher on than a lot of people. Had a very solid week in Mobile in the Senior Bowl. Doesn't necessarily play as fast as what you would expect looking at him from a testing standpoint. I think he's going to put up really good numbers at the Combine. But I love that pick at 37 because I think he's a good fit in a 3-4. John Michael Schmitz at pick 44. Keanu Benton, one of my favorite interior linemen. You get him in round two to go with. Ibarra, that you just knocked it out of the park already. And there's a couple other players that are going to be added later in the draft. I would not be surprised if the Seahawks take three or four defensive linemen if they end up with 11 selections because they need to get players that fit the scheme that they are running. And I think that's the reason I love this mock draft is because you're getting a player in Benton that can play three-tech, four-eye. He can play nose tackle. Uh, Ibarra can play a number of different uh, positions as well along the defensive line. And then you also get later in the draft, a player in Cameron Young in round six that you've mocked him a couple times earlier. He's a player that fits a three, four defensive scheme as well. You touch the offensive line with Cody Mock, as well as John Michael Smith. Those two players could start for you on day one. Mock, I think could play at like four different spots. The guy is insanely versatile. You get Julius Brent, you get a pass catching running back in Eric Gray on day three. I just thought this was an extremely well-rounded draft, and I liked the placement of the players. These mock draft simulators, it's really difficult to peg where these guys are going to go. None of us truly know, but this seems like from a value perspective that this was a very realistic mock draft, and the Seahawks checked off a lot of boxes, and they still went offense in the first round with their two picks. 
Yeah, and, and I like the you know, one of the players that you did mention, Jamie Robinson um, from Florida State. I mean, he's a little bit undersized. That's why he might drop a little bit, but he is physical. He's a ball hawk. He's a sea hockey type of a safety, and so he's a really interesting one. We saw a couple of other mocks that had J.L. Skinner from Boise State, the exact opposite. I mean, he's all arms and legs. I mean, he, he's 6'3", 210 pounds, but he's just so long. He's often compared to Cam Chancellor. His game is very, very different. Uh, then Cam Chancellor, but at the same time, I, I I just I think from a national perspective, Corbin, there's not going to be a lot of people out there who think that the Seahawks are going to draft a safety. They're not going to draft a tight end. Those are two of the stronger positions. But when you break down the roster, we fully expect Seattle to draft a tight end, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if they went with the safety uh, if they do have ten or eleven draft picks here and then one last thing you mentioned julius brent the corner from kansas state i just love kansas state as what as far as what it has this year in terms of its draft class whether it be brent whether it be the running back deuce vaughn whether it be the the edge rusher and a duque i mean you got some really good players in manhattan kansas so I, i think that uh seahawk fans who are looking to kind of do some film work Make sure you watch the Kansas State Wildcats. Seahawks made the Seahawks as a franchise may not love the fact that I'm mentioning them, uh, but I think that uh, there's going to be a lot of Seahawks fans out there who are going to want to pay attention to what's going on there because I would be surprised if Seattle doesn't wind up getting somebody from this draft class from Kansas State. They just have an awful lot of guys who really look like future Seahawks. It's just another team. You can just tell they're really well coached. They're very yep. disciplined. They're fundamentally sound. And they're just good football players. They're in that Iowa. So Iowa, Kansas State. Um, I would also put Wake Forest in there the last couple of years. They seem to have players that just maybe they're not the most athletic guys, but they have guys that are really fundamentally sound and can just play the game of football. Northwestern has some really good players in that regard as well. So those blue collar schools, I like to call them, but you can get some really darn good football talent from Kansas State this year. I'd be in full agreement with you. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks. We're available on all major podcast platforms and streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up tomorrow, it's going to be Transaction Tuesday. We will be kicking out a question on social media for all of our listeners to chime in on related to roster construction. Be on the lookout for that at my handle, at Corbin Smith NFL. That's going to be coming your way. We'll be diving into that tomorrow and continuing our free agent primers as well. Hope you'll be listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Hawks.